0: I'll read verses 1 through 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. It will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing, and everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of this sermon might be pleasing and acceptable to you. Grant this, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Tourists go to Mount Carmel every year. Mount Carmel is in the northern part of Israel, near the city of Haifa. Now, the reason people go to Mount Carmel isn't because its elevation is so high. In fact, the elevation of Middlebrook is about a hundred feet higher than Mount Carmel. Uh, Why is it that tourists go to Mount Carmel? Because Mount Carmel played a unique role in much of the biblical story. It's not only the biblical story, there are a number of historical things that unfolded at Mount Carmel, but I won't go through all of those today. I'll save that for when you are tourists. But if you go to Mount Carmel, at the top of Mount Carmel is a statue. It's a quite distinctive statue because it's a man that has a sword drawn and he has his boots on the neck of another man. It's a statue of Elijah. Of course, to be actually accurate to the story, he would have to have his boot on the neck of 450 men. Do you remember the story of the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Elijah was a prophet during the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. When that queen who introduced and encouraged and demanded the worship of Baals. Baal simply means, it's just a name that was used for one of the deities in the pantheon of gods that were worshipped in that area. And the people were vacillating back and forth. Sometimes they would worship the Lord, and then other days they would worship the Baals. And so it came to a point of crisis and confrontation when Elijah stood before these 450 prophets to see which God was genuinely worthy of worship. If you remember the story, the Uh, there there were offerings that were placed and it was the offering to the Lord that was consumed in fire confirming the validity of, of the Lord. That rallied the people of Israel around Elijah and they struck down all the prophets of Baal. What's interesting to me, at least for our purposes today, is what happened next. I know some of you are very familiar with the Bible story. You know what happened next, but some of you may not know. You'd expect that after such a victory, Elijah might be elevated to some special place in the life of Israel. But that's not how it happened. When Queen Jezebel heard what happened, she vowed that Elijah would be just like one of those prophets, he'd be killed. And Elijah had to run for his life. He went south, all the way to the edge of the Negev, the back of beyond. And there, in the burning hot sun, he laid down to get a little shade under a broom tree, a little shrub that provides cover. And as he lay down, he prayed that the Lord would take his life. He said, my life is a waste. There's no one who loves you. Elijah, after this moment of great victory and triumph. It follows with despair and disillusionment. Well, let me ask you this today. Do you know that feeling like Elijah? Have you ever felt despairing? Despairing of your life, despairing of the church, despairing of the faith? Maybe you can relate to an Elijah moment under the broom tree. Maybe you don't have to go that far into the past. In fact, maybe you could identify that from right where you are in the present. If you're feeling that way, I'm glad you're here today. Today, I want to talk about hope. The book of Isaiah is filled with passages that soar in their beauty. I think today's passage is one that does that, this language of reversals. But you know, sometimes reading the book of Isaiah is a challenge to modern readers. It's a challenge for a lot of reasons. One reason it's a challenge is because a lot of people don't read very much. Maybe you don't read very much, and when you do read the Bible, as soon as you hit these big names, you start to nod off. Right? You've worked third shift, or you've worked a, a long day, or you've retired really hard. <laughs> and when you open the Bible, you get sleepy. How do you understand? There are big words, and there are challenges. To reading the Bible. But that's not the only challenge. One of the challenges the culture is very different. Every generation has a prejudice that their culture is better than every other culture. That's a very common, uh, something that's very common to human experience. And we can bring that to the Bible. We can read the Bible and find things that are culturally very distant and think the Bible is just wrong. That's what I call a rookie mistake. If you're making that mistake, you're a rookie. (laughs) When it comes to reading the Bible, you need to have a hunger and a desire to understand God's word. And it's natural that God would speak to the people in the culture that they are from. And so because we are the ones from a different culture, it's upon us to understand their culture. That's why we have Sunday school and Bible study and Sunday night, Wednesday nights. I encourage you to avail yourself. And it's not just those times when the church gathers, there's study resources to help you understand. But you know, you could have all of that. You could have the historical understanding, you could understand Hebrew like a Jew. You could be a scribe or a Pharisee. And like I read in John chapter 7, those who heard Jesus teach God in the flesh didn't understand Isaiah. How do we read Isaiah? I think what Jesus modeled on the road to Emmaus, if you remember that story, it's one of Jesus' post-resurrection encounters. After Jesus' resurrection, some of the disciples ran away and there were two Cleopas and an unnamed disciple were on this road out of Jerusalem when Jesus met them they didn't recognize Jesus it's one of the kind of peculiar and perplexing aspects to this post-resurrection appearance they didn't know who he was and he started to explain the scriptures Isaiah was about him Have you ever been locked out of a house? There's a world of difference, isn't there? Sitting outside and getting inside. The key that unlocks the door to open the book of Isaiah is Jesus. Isaiah 35, 34, all the way through 66 is about Jesus. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom What does that mean? What are these images about? You could go to the Sahara today. It's the largest desert in the world, North Africa. And it's growing every year. And you might think that the Sahara was always desert. But that would be incorrect. The Sahara has become a desert. In fact, even the lush Shenandoah Valley would become a desert if we didn't get rain. And what this image that we are encountering in Isaiah 35 is this promise of that land that is dried up, that is shriveled, that has died, is going to be given new life. You know that, in in a way, is in miniature the story of the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of of Abraham and the people of Israel. The Bible begins. God created the world. He made it good. But the good of God's creation is marred. It's tarnished by human disobedience. Have you ever seen in your own life that unfold? Where those relationships that you most want to flourish have become stunted and become hurt in ways that you don't even intend for them to be? We see that God chose Abraham out of this broken world to bring healing to the world. Through Abraham, he created a people, Israel. They would have a special place to bring knowledge of this God who created the world, who loved the world. But Israel itself, rather than to carry out their vocation, chose to try to serve themselves. Again, not something that's so hard to imagine. Have you ever substituted your desires for what God is calling you to. its a long history of that. And what we see in the Bible is where it leads. The people of God have become shriveled. But Isaiah 35 is a a, a passage of promise. The glory of God is going to return. That nation that's been destroyed is again going to have life. The ground that is cracked and dry is gonna bubble with water. And so, the Lord says, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way and say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Do you need to hear that today? Are your knees weak? Give it time. They'll get weak. (laughs) Have you been so scared your knees were weak? Have you had someone say, before I tell you this, I need you to sit down? I know some of you have. Some of you have had hands that have become weak. Hand is the Hebrew word for power. Our strength becomes sapped. Do you remember the days when you thought you could do anything and everything? How long did they last? It's interesting uh, that this passage is quoted in the New Testament. And where it's quoted by Jesus is in a passage that has a relationship with Elijah. You know, there's a New Testament figure that carries out the ministry of Elijah. Uh, He dresses like Elijah, John the Baptist, preparing the way for the Messiah. But in Matthew chapter 11, John is in prison. Herod's thrown him in prison. And apparently, in his time in prison, he started to have doubts, not unlike the Elijah under the broom tree. Is this really going to happen? He sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one? And Jesus' response is quoting this passage. In this passage, In that day when the glory of God is revealed, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, The ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, And the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, And streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs. Jesus is saying this day has come. But maybe you find yourself like John the Baptist or like Elijah under the broom tree. You look around you and you look at the world and you think, is God really going to do this? Is he going to bring this stunning vision of healing to the world, to your life? Well, verse eight gives us an understanding of how we answer that question. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The the unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. The ransomed of the Lord, will return. They will enter Zion with singing and everlasting joy will crown their heart." What we find is that the book of Isaiah is pointing to the one who is going to come and create a highway. Uh, We've had people in our church, in fact, uh, Earl Blackwell, some of you remember Earl, worked on 64 when the highway was being built. Maybe some of you did as well. I know some of you remember before the highway was there Uh, I often spend my time trying to avoid the highway. I don't want to be on the traffic or get stuck uh, with all the big trucks going so fast. But in some ways, that's because I'm a little spoiled. We have so many good roads. I can imagine some of you grew up, I know some of you grew up in places where the roads weren't so good. But you know, if you were to pick uh, a state that has bad roads, I won't suggest any. (laughs) Virginia. It's nothing on the roads around the world. The roads for most of human history. It used to be in the ancient world, there were very few roads. In ancient Israel, there were two highways the Highway of the Sea and the Highway of Kings. They gave their names because of various things that were associated with it. And if you weren't on a highway, it was very hard to traverse this difficult ground. And this promises there's a way, a way is being made that the people of God, the redeemed of God, can be returned to him. Right? There'll be no predators on this road. Right? There'll be no fools on this road. There'll be no unclean, those who are uh, just focused on themselves. Jesus came to make a way. A way for you, A way for me. But how do we follow that road? The way we follow that road is the way of the cross. It's a road that people didn't understand. In in Jesus' own day, when they heard him talk, when they heard him talk about what he was going to do. That is the way that brings the people of God into Zion. And the question is, will you pursue it? Most people want to be happy. Most people want to be filled with rejoicing and joy. What will give that to you? I was recently watching a uh, documentary about uh, NBA great who won various championships. And one of the things he observed is after winning the championships, it was really exciting at first, but then he was lower than he'd ever been. You know, last night I stayed up a little too late watching that game seven of the basketball. But you know what? All the rejoicing that went on in that dramatic win, there's another series next week. And in your life, the things that you long to have resolved, when you get it fixed, there'll be another problem. C.S. Lewis made the observation, if if you strive to have the world, you'll lose the world and God. But if you strive for God, he'll throw in the world. But it begins with striving for God. And the way we strive for God is not by striving for a God of our own creation. Right, when we do that, when we act in our own strength, we take our eyes off the road and we'll find ourselves like Elijah. Elijah, this man of God who'd seen God's miraculous provisions again and again in his life. And yet when he looked at his own strength, he despaired. John the Baptist. Jesus himself said, there's been no man alive like John the Baptist, and John the Baptist despaired. If you're despairing today, I want you to know you're not alone, and I want you to know to keep your eyes on the road. There's a way. Did you watch any of the news coverage of the Southern Baptist Convention? that's a way to get your eyes off there's some acrimony in that that makes me sad Uh, I watched it and there were lots of good but there's lots that made you cringe cringe-worthy moments like the young man in a Batman t-shirt who stepped up to the mic saying things that were unwise and unhelpful that happens it's not just at the Southern Baptist Convention I like to remind my United Methodist friends they have some troubles of their own. It's not just in denominational life. You know, you spend enough time in the church, you'll find discouragement and hurt, things to get your eyes off the road. Might come from the pastor, might come from people in the church. Discouragement comes. But you know, I was watching the convention, and there was a story told about a church in Florida. As a young man, he was famous. He became famous uh, because of something that happened to him. When he was just 10 years old, he was kidnapped. Uh, He recounts his story. A man said that he was there. His dad sent him to pick him up. He didn't know uh, any better, and he got in the vehicle, and the man tried to kill him. He shot him in the head, and he left him for dead in the Everglades and he wasn't found for seven days. 10 year old boy. You can look up the story, it's amazing that he survived. He said the last thing he remembers is when the man shot him. Years later, that miraculous deliverance led him to faith in Jesus Christ. He realized that God had a plan for his life and he gave his life to the Lord and he served as a pastor for decades. He got a call from the detectives that there was an elderly man who wanted to confess to what he'd done. And so he got in the car and he went. And he said he was excited to tell him about Jesus. Now, why would he be excited to tell him about Jesus? Not because he wanted to be in the Southern Baptist Convention on the big screen. Not because he wanted to impress you. Not because he wanted any plaudits, but because he'd encountered the Lord who brings forgiveness. He was on the road to the cross and it transformed the way he looked at the world. What does the Lord say? Gladness and joy will overtake them. When you pursue the way of the cross, gladness and joy will overtake you. May we keep our eyes on the highway. God grant it. Amen.